Amen. Amen. Uh, that was a worship service. <laughs> it's been a long time since I came up here sweating from the worship service. That's always a sign that you have had a good worship service is when, you're, when you crack a sweat. It's a long, long, long journey. I appreciate the revivals. Let's give them a hand again. Wasn't that, wasn't that great? Thank you guys for lending us your talent. So uh, I'm Greg Boyd, teaching pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. And we're going to be taking a, a two-week break from our series on prayer, uh, based on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, to honor Martin Luther King and, and all that he stood for. And as Shauna mentioned, next week we'll be having this panel discussion, and really encourage you to, whatever questions you've got about, about race, about racism, uh, but also about polarization, our current polarization in, this, in, this, in, uh, in, in America, um, send those in. Uh, we need to get them by Thursday because on Friday we're going to get together and decide which questions we're going to uh, address. So uh, uh, please take advantage of that. And we do this because we believe that, that uh, Martin Luther King's, the way he conducted the, the, the civil rights movement with his protests and the marches was one of the uh, most beautiful examples of, of taking uh, kingdom principles and applying it to civic issues. Um, his, 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 his teaching on love and on nonviolence, and we'll be getting into that more in this message. It just was outstanding. Uh, he and Gandhi probably have the, the, the two greatest examples of taking kingdom principles and applying it uh, to civic issues. And Gandhi wasn't even a Christian, so, so go figure on that. Uh, we have a team that, that uh, has kind of a think tank that thinks about what we want to do on an MLK weekend. Uh, and they came up with the Learnathon and things like that. But they, they asked me to teach on spiritual warfare as it relates to the divisions of our culture and the fragmentation of, of, uh, of our culture, and, and uh, uh, including race. 
And so um, I'm going to be speaking on light and darkness, this, this theme that runs throughout the Bible and runs throughout uh, Martin Luther King's writings, um, and the conflict between the two. I want to start with John, the Gospel of John, uh, the first four verses. It's familiar to a lot of you, I'm sure. John says, In the beginning was the Word, Logos. This is the God's revealed self to us. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. And so far as anyone's got light, they're getting the word. Whether they know that the word is Jesus or not, whoever's got light, it's the result of the word. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The darkness tried to overcome it. Darkness is always trying to overcome the light. But in the end, it cannot. So I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but I will tell you that according to the New Testament, this world that we live in right now is enveloped in darkness. And that's maybe a little easier to believe now that we're in the, going on to the third year of this pandemic. Uh, but it's always the case. This, this world's enveloped in darkness. And, and, and here's the story behind that, as I, I shared the last two weeks. Because love is the goal in creation, uh, and love has got to be chosen because of that, God endowed human beings and also celestial beings with free will. Um, by celestial beings, I'm referring to angels and principalities and powers and authorities and dominions, and there's 16 different titles that are given to these things in the, in the New Testament. I'll just refer to them as the powers. So God gave human beings and God gave the powers this capacity of choice, free will self-determination, in the hope that we would always choose light. We'd always choose love. But we can go the other direction if we want. There's, I think, pretty good evidence that something like free will also is found in the animal kingdom. Uh, but let's keep it simple by just referring to the powers and to, to human beings. Now, not, we're not given a lot of information about this, but according to Scripture and the church tradition, um, some of these powers in the distant past uh, sometime before human beings were even created, maybe even prior to the creation of this physical world, there was a rebellion because they were free. They had the capacity to do this. And, and they rebelled against God. And that is where the darkness originates. Darkness is not co-eternal with God, as some dualistic religions teach. And uh, nor is darkness, uh, doesn't originate in the will of God. As, as some deterministic religions teach, uh, some forms of Islam and, and Calvinism, they think that everything that happens is, is, is God's will, and so darkness originates in the will of God. But listen to this in, in 1 John chapter 1. This verse alone is worth the price of admission, let me tell you. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. This is the message right here. Lock this in, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. None. Everyone say, at all. There's no darkness at all. God is pure light, not a shred of darkness. God is pure love, not a shred of apathy, indifference, or hatred. God is, is, is pure goodness. There's no evil, not a trace of evil, not a hint of evil found in him. God is pure kindness. And so there's not a, a, a tinge of, of cruelty found in God. God's always on the side of life and always on the side of wholeness. Uh, and therefore, God is never on the side of death and fragmentation. God's always on the side of peace, never on the side of violence. And um, um, so darkness comes into being 
But it doesn't come into being because God wills it. It comes into being because free agents will it. Uh, to create darkness, all you got to do is turn off the light. Darkness is just the absence of light. So also to turn off the light in our lives, all you have to do is turn away from the light. And we create our own darkness. And folks don't realize it, but this darkness, far from being the will of God, it's the antithesis of everything God's about. It's the opposite. And so while folks maybe don't realize it, they're under deception, but when you turn from God, you're turning from light itself, and that, by definition, creates darkness. You're turning from love itself, and you're heading in the direction of apathy and, and indifference and hatred. You're turning from goodness itself, and so you're heading in, in, in a course of evil. You're turning from life itself, and so you're heading in the direction of death. That's, all that is, is, is contained in this idea of darkness. It's, it's the opposite of everything God's about. Now, according to Scripture and the church tradition, uh, at some point, these powers succeeded in seducing human beings into their civil war, their rebellion against God. And, and when we succumb to these powers, uh, who are now using their say-so, their free will, at cross-purposes with God, they're supposed to use it to help care for humanity and, and care for creation. Instead, they're using it to destroy humanity and to try to destroy creation. And, uh, and so when we surrendered to them, we invited this darkness into our lives and into the earth and the animal kingdom that we were entrusted to care for. So this world is a present darkness, as it says uh, several times in the, in, the, in the New Testament. Thankfully, God didn't abandon us. Paul tells us in Acts 17 that God's always working in every human heart to get people to hunger for him and grow for him and possibly find him insofar as it's possible given their cultural conditions. God's always, Jesus is the light that lightens everybody who comes into the world. Insofar as they have light, uh, they're, they're defining the truth of Jesus Christ whether they know his name or not. That's why you can find light popping up all over the place um, in different religions and different writings and stuff because God's always working out there. But we've got to be aware. There's also forces of darkness that are trying to do the opposite, trying to keep us in deception, kind of trying to keep us from truth, trying to drag us in the direction of conflict and fragmentation and ultimately death. Um, it's, uh, it's why then to become a Jesus follower, it, you commit to walking in the light, which means you commit to resisting the pull of darkness. And there's always a pull of darkness. Uh, a few verses after I, the verse I just read in 1 John, verses 6 and 7, it says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, Jesus, who is the light of the world, while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. To walk in the light means you have to resist the powers of darkness. The powers of darkness tried to overcome Jesus, who is the light of the world. And so also, if we walk in the light, there will be powers that are trying to overcome us. So it means that when you sign up to following Jesus, you're signing up to enlist in this kind of a battle. Uh, you're, you're signing up to partner with God in this cosmic conflict that has been going on from before human beings ever even arrived at the scene. Now this is something Martin Luther King was well aware of. He knew that to call on people to fight against the dehumanization of black people was to take on the principalities and powers that fuel darkness. He says this at one point. He says, we must recognize, you've got to recognize this, know this, lock this down, that, that if we are to gain our God-given rights now, principalities and powers must be confronted. So Martin Luther King was aware of that when you, you think about white supremacy, and when you're dealing with racism, and you're dealing with injustice, 
there's more than meets the eye. These aren't just human behaviors and human attitudes that are destructive and evil. Uh, they are that for sure. But behind that, there are principalities and powers at work. Uh, these principalities and powers don't coerce people to do anything. We always have the free will. We have to take responsibility for all of our own choices. But at the same time, we've got to acknowledge, got to recognize that there are powers that are set against us that try to overcome the light as we walk in the light. So to walk in the light of God's love and in God's truth means that you've got to take on the powers that pull us in the opposite direction of that. Uh, pull us in the direction of darkness, pull us in the direction of hatred, pull us in the direction of violence and conflict. Uh, to walk in the light, as Christ is the light of the world, means that we, we strive to cultivate a humble mindset, a, 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 an other-oriented servant mindset towards people. But to do that, you've got to realize that you're going to be t- going against the powers that are trying to pull us towards self-centeredness and t- pull us towards arrogance. To walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, it means you cultivate potentially cultivate a love for your enemies, but that means you've got to be ready to push back on those strong powers that are always pulling people to demonize their enemies. To walk in the light means you cultivate a heart for reconciliation and a heart for peace, but to do that, you've got to take on the powers that are always trying to pull us in the direction of conflict, in the direction of violence. To walk in the light as Christ is in the light means we, we find our core identity and we put all of our hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? But to do that, you've got to take on the powers that are pulling us to try to get our identity in, in, in anything else and to try to put our hope in anything else. To try to put our identity and hope into idols, idols of nationalism and idols of, of a, a, a political party and idols of maybe your religion or your race or maybe it's uh, your achievements or your wealth or whatever. Trying to get life from that. Um, they're always pulling on us. And that's what has to be resisted if we're going to walk in the ways of Jesus. This is why the pull of the powers is always a pull towards violence and always a pull towards demonizing your enemies because nationalism and political parties and religion and the like, those are the kind of things that people have always felt justified hating others for and killing others for. Pull of the powers is always in that direction. To walk in the light, you've got to resist the darkness. Which brings me to, I think, the most unique aspect of the New Testament's teaching on this conflict between light and darkness. You know, you, you find this, this, this metaphor of light and darkness, good and evil, uh, all over the place among human beings. It's like humans have this kind of core intuition that there's a war going on. There's a conflict going on. And that is so, itself, I think, evidence that God's working everywhere because to that degree, people are believing true things. But what you find throughout the globe as people write about the conflict between light and darkness is that at some point, almost all of them, will identify themselves and their tribe as the light and identify their human opponents as the darkness. And see, as soon as you do that, if you're the light and they're the darkness, well then you feel justified doing whatever needs to be done to eradicate the darkness, to silence the darkness, to kill the darkness. The the, the thinking going on here is this. If, if, uh, If we who are righteous can just kill enough, silence enough of those evil people, well, then God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that line of thinking, is that is the most lethal lie that human beings have ever bought into. It is behind the vast majority of violence throughout history. We, the righteous, must slaughter those evil people, and then we'll bring about God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And you feel justified doing it. You feel righteous doing it. As Martin Luther King saw... This is the broken record of, 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 of uh, 
human history. It's, it's cyclical. Violence just perpetrates more violence. He says this, for example, at one point. It's a motif that comes up all the time in his writings and his speeches. He says, returning violence for violence only multiplies violence. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. This guy, he's such a poet. I wish I could talk like that. His metaphors are incredible. A night already devoid of stars. Violence just adds darkness to darkness. It's that whole tit-for-tat game that human beings have been playing since before history ever started getting written. You, you, you kill my son, so I kill your whole family, so you kill my, blow up my whole neighborhood, so I blow up your state, so you blow up my nation. But a few of us will survive to carry on the resentment to the next generation, and the game starts all over again. And it goes on and on and on like a monotonous, broken record, and we never learn from it. We keep on trying the same old thing, which Einstein says is the very definition of insanity. Do the same thing expecting a different outcome. All of it's because we demonize human enemies. They are the darkness. In contrast to all that, it stands out. It's so beautiful. It's the most unique and beautiful, and yet the most challenging aspects of the New Testament's teaching on light and darkness. Jesus and Paul make it very clear that we're never to identify human beings as the enemy that we're supposed to fight. Never. Paul says this, classic passage in Ephesians 6. He says, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil. There's there's an enemy out there that's got schemes against us. Got to know that. For our struggle, he says, is not against enemies of flesh and blood. It's not against other humans, but against rulers and against authorities, and against cosmic powers of this present darkness. That's the world that we're living in right now, this present darkness. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our real struggle is against the powers. If it's got flesh and blood, it's not your enemy. In fact, if it's got flesh and blood, it's someone you're to be fighting for. And this is also a theme that comes up frequently in in, uh, King's writing. Martin Luther King says this at one point in a sermon. He says, our attack, listen to this, Our attack is directed against forces of evil rather than against persons who are caught in those forces. It is evil we are seeking to defeat, not the persons victimized by evil. And see, this is how he saw those who were enforcing Jim Crow laws and the racists that were advocating segregation. He saw that they, while they're responsible for what they do, not going to say that they have blame in this, but he saw them as themselves victims of the powers of evil, the powers of darkness. He says, the tension in the city, I think he was talking about Birmingham, Birmingham uh, here, uh, the tension in this city is not between white people and Negro people. The tension is at bottom between justice and injustice, between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. If it's got flesh and blood, it's not someone you're to be fighting against, it's someone you're to be fighting for, to free them from their bondage to the forces of darkness. Because any human being who can't see and celebrate the full humanity of another human being is blind. And they're blind because they succumb to the forces of darkness. So Martin Luther King says when we're fighting for justice, it's not just for ourselves. When we're fighting for freedom, it's not just for ourselves. We're fighting for ourselves, but yes, also for those who are doing the oppression, the oppression because they themselves are in darkness. Um, this is why, why, and it doesn't matter how nasty or loathsome their views are, how despicable you maybe think their philosophy is or anything else. Our call is to love them with the hope that they will be set free from their bondage to hatred, from their blindness towards the full humanity of others. This is one of the reasons why Jesus commanded us to love our enemies, and to pray for our enemies. That's why Paul said, never repay evil with evil, but always repay evil with good. 
If you respond in kind to the person who does injustice towards you, you just lock them in, solidify them in their stance against you. That's what makes this merry-go-round of violence go on and on and on throughout history. But when you respond the opposite of what they delivered to you, you respond to evil with good, you respond to cruelty with kindness, well, that opens up the door that possibly they'll see the error of their ways. If, if they're at all open to light, maybe they'll see what they're doing, and that opens up the chance that perhaps they'll change, they'll repent, and the enemy may become a friend. And that's another thing that, that Martin Luther King frequently wrote on. He says this at one point. He says, be ye assured, he's talking here to the enforcers of uh, Jim Crow and, 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 and segregation. He says, be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. We will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. We're willing to do this. Not just for our own sake, but for you. He says, and one day we will win our freedom. But we will not only win freedom for ourselves. We will so appeal to your heart and your conscience that we will win you in the process. I love this guy's heart. We're going to win you, the racist, in the process. We're going to win you over. Hallelujah. This is beautiful. And therefore, our victory will be a double victory for ourselves and for you. In fact, Martin Luther King, he understood that um, the only true victory is a double victory. That's what he meant when he said that until everyone is free, none of us are truly free. He, he, he saw more clearly than the vast majority of human beings ever do that our individual well-being is wrapped up with the well-being of the whole. We're, we're, we're part of one another. And so he would t- tell people before their marches, and this is what I think is just so kingdom about, about Martin Luther King. Before the marches and before the protests, he would say, I don't want you to participate in this unless you can honestly say that you're doing it not just for yourself and your people, but out of love for your oppressor. Because we want to see them set free as well, because until they're set free, none of us are truly set free. So lock this in. If it's got flesh and blood, it's not your enemy. If it's got flesh and blood, it's someone you're called to love. It's someone you're called to agree with God that they have unsurpassable worth. Regardless of how despicable their views may be, uh, their lifestyle may be, whatever you think about that doesn't matter. Our most fundamental call as kingdom people is to love them um, as, as, as God has loved them, the way God has loved us, and to hope and to, to, that they get set free and to do what we can to help them get set free. In our battle, the only thing that can do that, Martin Luther King saw this so well, the only thing that can set a person free is love. In our battle against darkness, the only weapon we're allowed to use is self-sacrificial love. That's the weapon that God used on Calvary, and that's the only weapon that we are given to use in the battle against darkness. In the words of, 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 of MLK, listen, listen to this. He says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. You can have the most noble cause in the world. Have the greatest ideas in the world. The greatest philosophy in the world. You can have, can be brilliant. I'll grant you all that. But if it's motivated by love, you're just going to be adding darkness to a night that's already devoid of stars. Somebody say amen. Only love can conquer evil. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't use whatever say-so we have, whatever authority we have, whatever power we have, to, to protect people from dangerous views uh, and, and, and to, to do what we can to, to stop that. No, we, we have to do that. But what's all important is that our motivation for doing that is not just to silence an enemy, but to set an enemy who thinks they're our enemy free, to set them free, because until all are freed, none of us are truly free. So the powers 
are present in this world, and they're always pulling us towards darkness and fragmentation and conflict. And it always involves identifying other human beings as our flesh and blood and enemies. Uh, and so to walk in the light is to resist those powers. And the most fundamental key here, as King so well understood, is we have to have a refusal to ever not love. Refuse to ever not love. In one particular moving sermon of his, he, he, he stops and he, he addresses those who are enforcing uh, Jim Crow laws and, and segregation. And I, I, it's a long quote, but I'm going to quote the whole thing because it's just so beautiful. Listen to this. He says, We cannot, not in all good conscience, obey your unjust laws, because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. So do to us what you will, and we will still love you. Put us in jail, and we will go in with humble smiles on our faces. Send your hooded perpetrators. He's talking about the KKK here. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at the midnight hour. Drag us out into some wayside road and beat us. And leave us half dead. And we will still love you. Just get a picture of that. The monstrous evil black person facing the KKK saying, I refuse to ever not love you. We will still love you. Threaten our children, bomb our homes, and do all of the things of violence that you think will defeat our movement, and we will still love you. Send your propaganda agents around the country and make it appear that we're not fit morally, culturally, or otherwise for integration, and we will still love you. And King could have added, you can shoot me, assassinate me, but I'm still going to love you. A refusal to ever not love is, is, is the hinge of the, the whole kingdom movement. It, this is... This is what fuels us. This is what motivates us. This is what we've got to lock down. And see, this word, this word that King just gave here, is, I think, like the most important word that could be given to Christians here in America. And congregation, I'm going to talk now for a little bit just about being a Christian in America. If you're in different countries, take what I'm saying and apply it to your own locale. But I'm going to focus here on America just for a little bit. Because I'm sure a few of you have noticed that these powers that pull towards division and fragmentation and hostility, anger, violence, they are having a field day in this country right now. Would you agree with that? They're having a field day. Powers that pull towards demonizing our, our human enemies are having a field day in this country. I mean, animosity between the left and the right, is, it, it's unprecedented since the Civil War. I read this one article that, that it showed that in 1967, I think it was the, the year, that, that uh, in Congress, they, over half the time, People voted across the aisle. They sided with the other party over half the time. Nowadays, that hardly ever happens. And if it does happen, the party t tends to look at the person who crossed the aisle and see them as a traitor. And that's just a microcosm of what's going on in the broader culture. The atmosphere, you guys, has just gotten toxic. Something in the last couple of years has, has, has changed. I mean, these, this, this hostility has been seen, kind of underneath the surface for quite a while, but something has changed. A lot of people have noticed this. It's, it's hostility has intensified. I mean, now in, in Congress, people, they see the other side, not just as people they disagree with, but as people who are destroying in America. Both sides see this. How does a democracy survive when you've got that kind of attitude going on? The rhetoric everywhere has just gotten ranched up. I mean, uh, people are getting, politicians are getting death threats like never before. Uh, but it's not just politicians. Some scientists are getting death threats. 
Uh, you got people who, who just volunteer on school boards. And they're getting death threats. And the name calling, it, 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 basic decency seems to have gone out the window to a large degree. And people are fighting over everything because everything's gotten politicized. I mean, it's getting to the point where you say hi to somebody and it's like, well, what do you mean by that? It, it, it's, it's like everyone's walking on eggshells, fighting over vaccines and masks and conspiracy theories and abortion and mandates and global warming and uh, reliability of the electoral process and January 6th and the police force and basically fighting over reality. What is real? Because people are living in different realities. They're siloed into different realities, listening to different sources, news stations, and the like. Sometimes people point out, and I think this is true, that uh, we're being played by the Russians, and we're being played by the Chinese. They have these bots that they strategically put into hot zones in, t- in order to inflame us against ourselves, to, play, to turn against ourselves, because they'd love to see democracy implode on itself. And I think that's true, but the more profound truth is that we're being played by the powers that are always setting to, seeking to set us against one another. We're being played by the powers. They don't coerce us to do anything. We choose to be, let ourselves be played. These unseen agents are using their God-given say-so at cross-purposes with God, and they're using it to, bring, to draw people into deception, draw people into darkness, draw people into hostility and hatred and violence, draw people away from the light. So let me ask you, do you feel this pull? The pull of these powers? I will admit, I feel it. Um, the other night I was watching the news, and I always try to diversify my news sources. So I'll watch MSNBC, and then I'll watch Fox, and turn to CNN. Sometimes I'll go into a more extreme right or more extreme left and listen to some podcasts, because I want to understand. I, 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 I want to be able to understand where people are coming from and, and get the different perspectives. So I won't tell you what station I was listening to, but I was listening to a station, or watching a station on television, and there's a guy who's espousing what I believe are just complete lies, and they're destructive lies, lies that kill people. And I felt my blood begin to boil. Um, now, it's okay for me to find his view to be a lie and to find it to be disgusting. I, I think that, in my opinion, that's just accurately assessing things. But if I'm honest with myself, I have to admit that I, part of me wanted to hate him. Not just hate his views, but to hate him. In fact, part of me would have felt righteous hating him. In fact, if I'm really honest... That's what was happening. It wasn't just his views. You can tell yourself, oh, I just don't like his views. But in fact, it was personal. I have a hard time loving that human being. So ask yourself the question, who makes your blood boil? Maybe it's those hypocritical, power-hungry, self-righteous liberals. Or maybe it's those power-hungry, hypocritical, self-righteous conservatives. Or maybe it's those idiots who just fall for baseless conspiracy theories. Or maybe what makes your blood boil are those baby killers who support abortion. Or maybe what makes your blood boil are those tyrants who are trying to tell women what to do with their bodies. Maybe what makes your blood boil is that self-righteous, woke crowd that thinks that they're more enlightened than everybody else. Or maybe what makes your blood boil are those morons who think that they're smarter than Dr. Fauci or the CDC. Or maybe it's the masses of morons who don't think for themselves and just believe everything that the CDC and Dr. Fauci tell them. What makes your blood boil? Maybe it's the racists who are tr- trying to suppress the black vote. Or maybe it's just that boss at the office that drives you nuts and makes your life miserable. Who are the, those people that make your blood boil? And it's okay for you to disagree with them vehemently. 
That's fine. It's okay and even necessary for you to do whatever you can to use whatever say-so you have to protect people from the damage of those views. That's, that's, that's great. You should do that. But never are we allowed, as kingdom people, never are we allowed to hate. Because the moment we hate, we stop loving. We stop loving others the way Christ loved us when we were yet enemies. And that's our most fundamental job as kingdom people. The minute we succumb to hate, amen. The minute you succumb to hate, and there's a part of you that feels good about it, you feel righteous, you get to join the angry crowd that's against these folks. We hate these people. You can talk amongst yourselves to keep each other riled up. That's what we do all the time. Oh, aren't those people evil? We're the righteous, they're the evil ones. The minute we stop loving, no longer, we're no longer resisting the powers, we're being played by the powers. The minute you start hating, well, now, now you're just going to be adding deeper darkness to a, to a night that's already devoid of stars. And see, at that point, it doesn't matter how right you are, how true you are, how accurate you are, how brilliant you are, how noble your cause is. It doesn't matter from a kingdom perspective. If you're not motivated by love, it's altogether worthless. Read 1 Corinthians 13. Altogether worthless. It, it, it's of no value from a kingdom perspective. And see... Everything I just said applies in a particularly poignant, strong way when it comes to race issues here in America. Because I love America. I, whenever I speak anything bad about our history, people are like, oh, don't you, why aren't you American? Well, I'm just, I love America, but we've got to be real about where America has been. Because if we can't get real about where America has been, we can't get real with where America is right now. The truth is that this, this country was founded on a big lie, and it was a lie of white superiority, white supremacy. It was just obvious to the Europeans who came over here that whites were supposed to rule. And, and that's what fueled the enslavement of millions of blacks and the genocide of Native Americans. It was founded on this big lie. And we've been feeding that beast for 400 years in different ways. The beast of white supremacy. And there's a principality of power behind that. Now, good news is that I think more and more people are waking up to the reality of this beast. And as decent people wake up and begin to see this, they do what they can do to mitigate against its, its, its damage and, and, and to eradicate it. And they use their say-so to, 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 to block it and to protect people from it. And that's all good and well, and we, we need to join forces with that. But the question we got to ask ourselves is this. What unique thing do kingdom people bring to the table when it comes to addressing race issues here in America? And here's one thing I can tell you, that the vast majority of people who are resisting racism aren't doing it out of love for the racist. You don't find that kind of rhetoric. In fact, you go and say out loud that you, that you are working to, out of love for the racists and the oppressors, and some of the folks that are with you on fighting against this beast will turn on you. You're not supposed to love the enemy. The old adage stands that a friend of my enemy is my enemy. Will we stand out and shine bright we have this unique calling to love the oppressor. They have a love for all people um, that crosses racial lines, but also a love for those who are oppressing people. Because only love can set them free, ultimately. It's just for the good of all. According to Jesus, this is the, 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 the only weapon we're allowed to use. It's the only thing that can set people free. It's the only thing that can transform a human heart. In the end, it's the only thing that's going to win. This is what's, what wins in the end. So I want to uh, start to bring this message to a close by um, looking at an outstanding example of this. Uh, this is, it's a, his name is Daryl Davis. 
He's an accomplished black musician. He's played with Jerry Lee Lewis and, and some, some other big names. But about 30 years ago, he came to the realization that the people who are involved in the Ku Klux Klan are human beings. And he wanted to understand them. Why do they hate? So I'll let him tell the rest of the story. Watch this. I will hand it over to you, Daryl Davis. Thank you, Peter. And good morning. Good morning. Well, it's really an honor to be here. Thank you all very much for having me. Let me uh, get started real quick and just give you a little bit of experience that I had that led me on this, on this journey, if you will. How can you hate me when you don't even know me? Throughout my life, I've been looking for an answer to that. Well, who better to ask than someone who would join an organization whose whole premise is hating people who do not look like them. So I began seeking out members of the Ku Klux Klan. They're not hard to find. You know, they're, trust me, they're, they're, they're all over. Well, CNN got wind of this and wanted to do a story. I got the name of the head of the Klan in Maryland. And they said, do you think Mr. Kelly will even talk to us? I said, I'll do better than that. I'll get Mr. Kelly to come back to my house and you can interview the head of the Ku Klux Klan inside a black man's house. And I believe in separation of the races. I believe that's in the best interest of all races. Does he really, or has friendship transcended the color barrier? Listen to Kelly at a Klan rally. I'm a follower up man to hell, because I believe in what he stands for and he believes in what I stand for. A lot of times we don't agree with everything, but at least he respects me to sit down and listen to me. And I respect him to sit down and listen to him. We are enemies. He's the head of the Klan, I'm a black guy but he respected me to sit down and listen to him. And in exchange, he sat down and listened to me. I did not respect what he had to say. I respected his right to say it. We get to know one another and we do different things. You know, it's, it hasn't changed my views about the Klan, you know, because my views on the Klan has been pretty much cemented in my mind for years. We kept on doing that. He and I became the best of friends. And over a period of time, that cement that was in his mind, that held his ideas together, began to crack. And then it crumbled. And then a few years later, Roger Kelly quit the Ku Klux Klan. Today, he no longer believes in what he said on that video. And when Roger Kelly quit the Ku Klux Klan, he gave me his robe and hood. Okay, this is the robe of the Klan leader. The same one that you saw him wearing in the video. And of course, the hood, the hood and the mask. We are living in space age times, but there are too many of us still thinking with stone age minds. The way to solve this is you people. Let's talk to each other. Let's get the job done. Thank you all very much. I encourage you to check out this documentary. It's an independent lens documentary. It's called Accidental Courtesy. And it's just fascinating. Uh, Daryl has, has, over the last 30 years, he's collected, I think it was 28 different KKK robes. All of them from people, often leaders in the Ku Klux Klan. He befriends them and gets to know them and they, he listens to them and they listen to him. And friendship develops and their minds change. Only love can set people free. It's costly. I mean, he has to listen to some really despicable things that people say. Going to a KKK rally, I mean, that takes some 
chutzpah. Uh, but, but he's willing to do that. And see, his love for those folks who are in bondage um, is greater than the offense of what they're saying to him. It's also fascinating that, that he takes, gets derided by some black activists who see him as a traitor. What are you doing making friends with the enemy? Any friend of my enemy is my enemy. And so he, he, he gets shot at from both sides, but this is, this is the kingdom call. He literally loves people out of the KKK. So I, I want to end with this. I, I, I believe that there is a kind of a darkness that has, is descending on this country and in some ways around the world. Uh, there's a storm that we've already entered, but I think it's going to get darker before it gets lighter. I hope that's wrong, but I, that's my sense. And I think we're going to be feeling the pull towards hatred of other human beings like never before. Um, and in that light, I want to... I have always suggested praying for our enemies. I want to do more than suggest it now. I, I want to enter into a covenant, if you could, right here in the one minute. Um, a covenant. And you don't have to do this. You're a free agent. Feel free to opt out. But you have on your seats this card here, and the card invites you to write down the people who make your blood boil, the people that you have the hardest time loving, that you feel most righteous hating. And... Can we covenant together? Because see, if we're doing this together, then we know we're not doing it alone. I, we're the tribe that prays for our enemies. Because we're the tribe that loves our enemies. We're learning how to love enemies together. And, and it, it's, it's, it's encouraging to know that this is something that you're doing when, in community with others. Will you commit to, covenant to pray for these enemies every day? I think it's one of the most fundamental disciplines that, that a follower of Jesus can do. You're exercising your love enemy muscle. And that's something that normally doesn't get exercised. And to do it every day for the next month. And then we can evaluate it after a month. If you're open to doing that, if you're willing to do that, just in your heart, say amen to this. And uh, write it down, put it on your refrigerator so you remember it. And pray for those enemies. Just agree with God that they have unsurpassable worth. Pray blessing on their life. And pray that, that, that light will come into their world. When you're doing this, you see, you're bringing kingdom influence into their world. You're helping them to get set free. Because prayer always releases the kingdom influence. But not only that, you're guarding your own heart from the pull of the powers, those forces of darkness that incline you to want to hate and to feel righteous doing so. You're protecting your heart, and you're bringing the kingdom into their lives. Are we willing to do that for the next month? If you are, say, I do. I do. Lord, remind us of this. Help us to always be cultivating love towards those in our lives that we find the hardest time loving. While we may disagree vehemently with what they're doing and do everything we can to protect people from the damage of what they're doing, help us to never fall into hatred. Let's be a people who refuse to ever not love. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, don't forget we have got the Musecast on Tuesdays, and we've got gathering groups we invite you to get involved in so we can talk more about this message. Uh, if you're going to be here next week and you're going to be bringing kids, please let us know ahead of time so we have enough children's workers to care for them. And um, don't forget to be praying for your enemies every day. In Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Go out and love on the world.